The famous apologetics verse in 1 Peter 3.15 talks about being really an ambassador for hope, giving a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. You know, we are living in a world that is often hopeless, but we're filled with hope. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 1, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We'll explore that more today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. You're already in Colossians, I hope, so stay there. And we are going to be looking at verses 20 through 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Well, Father, we are grateful for all the precious people who have come out on this rainy day to celebrate Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for that reality, Father. Thank you that you live in us through the Holy Spirit. You've made your abode in your people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing reality that Christ lives in us. And this is the hope of glory. This is the guarantee of our future destination. You've given the Holy Spirit as your down payment, guaranteeing our future. And we're grateful that you dwell in us, Lord. And we want to live like people who are indwelt with the living God. So help us to surrender more because we've been here today. Help us to see glorious things from your word. Let us be built up in our faith. For those who are lacking faith, may you minister hope to them. May you minister to those who are suffering. I think all of those subjects will be tackled in this uh, section. And we just lay everything that's gonna happen at your feet and pray that you do mighty wonders in our midst. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen, amen. Woody Allen over the years has been known for little quips, usually with a dark feel. He said these words, more than any time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness, hopelessness, the other to total extinction. Let us pray that we have the wisdom to choose correctly. That's a pretty dark thing, isn't it? There's another man who's been changing the world. He's traveled all around the world. His name is Nick Vujicic. God is using a man with no arms and no legs to be his hands and his feet all over the world. Nick, if you didn't know it, is a son of a pastor, and he was born with no arms and no legs. And when the announcement came to the home fellowship where his dad pastored, they were shocked. They didn't know how to make sense of such a thing. They were trying to figure out how this could happen to the pastor and his wife. They were devastated. They questioned. Then the parents decided after a struggle in the first several months of trying to make sense of everything, they decided just to give it all to God. And they knew that God had a plan. But Nick decided that he would challenge God. He knew that he was a sinner, this is his own words, but he was not going to ask God into his life until God answered the why question. Why did you take my arms and my legs? Why didn't you give me what everyone else has, said Nick. So at age eight, he told his parents he wanted to go into the bathtub and relax, and he decided to commit suicide at the age of eight. He turned over twice in the tub with his head face down in the water and said he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't take his life. 
He says life was tough from there, but Nick realized, he said, there's no point in being complete on the outside if you're broken on the inside. He said, I found out God could heal you without changing your circumstance. And so Nick got saved when he read the story of the blind man in John 9. God answered Nick's question as he breathed his word into Nick's life and circumstances. The answer was this, will you trust me? The Bible story was John 9 when the apostles saw a man born blind and they said, Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born this way. And Jesus said neither him nor his parents sinned, but this happened that the works of God might be made manifest through him. I want you to see Nick Vujicic in his own words as he finishes the story. This is about a two-minute video. Just take a look up at the screen. Just go ahead and start it there. That's fine. I am nothing. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me, and I now live in his strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God for somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that he didn't answer my prayer when I was begging him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, he's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far, approximately, uh, this is conservative, 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs, Nick, here on earth and no arms? No, whatever his will is because I'd rather have no arms, no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them there. In the last decade, Nick has shared his story in 24 countries to over 3 million people. And whether he's talking to a stadium packed with people or one single person, his heart behind the message is the same. God loves you, that he hasn't forgotten your pain, he hasn't forgotten your family. And maybe while you're watching this interview, you've compared your suffering to my suffering. And that's not where hope is, to know that someone else, in your opinion, is suffering more than you. That's not where hope is. But hope is in the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is when you compare your suffering to the infinite, immeasurable love and grace of God. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength that shall mount up on wings as eagles. I didn't need my circumstance to change. I don't need arms and legs. I need the wings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm flying because I know Jesus is holding me up. Don't give up on God because God will not give up on you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The man, um, conservative estimates say that 200,000 people have come to Jesus Christ because of Nick's testimony. He said he was in high school one day, and there was an Indian janitor who looked at him one day and said, Nick, you're going to be a speaker. He said, what are you talking about? I'm going to be a speaker. You're going to tell your story all over the world, and it's come to pass do you know that Nick has set a record in the Guinness Book of World Records? He hugged 1,700 people in one hour. 1,700 people. People will line up for miles and just wait to hug this man because he gives people hope. 
If what was happening to Nick on the outside really defined him, Nick would be nothing. He would just be some, somebody that we would push aside and forget. But what matters in life is not what's going on on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. I was thinking about this week, and I was thinking if my story was Mike in me, it would be the hope of gory. <laughs> but Christ in me is the hope of glory. And it's not, you know, we live in a culture today that assesses everything by the outside, how you look, how you speak, how you dress, where you live, what you drive, what your hairstyle is, what your clothing looks like. But God assesses things very differently. And God did not remove Nick's circumstances, although Nick did desire that very early on. But God has used Nick to change the world. I've seen some videos of hardened criminals in prison breaking down in tears, hugging this man. This is what God can do with your life. It's not just Nick's life, it's your life. And you may, be, you may feel broken this morning. You may wonder what you have to offer to this world. But there's a lot of blessings that we sometimes just simply pass by and we don't even think about them. Those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I understand that in France, uh, when a woman is pregnant, they actually will celebrate that pregnancy. In the United States, we're a little bit conservative in congratulating women because sometimes we want to make sure they're pregnant. And if you've ever made that mistake before, you never want to make it again. Can I get a witness? But in France, they have a saying, I'm not going to try to say it in French, in French, but they congratulate the woman and they say this, these words. They say, this is a common phrase, I congratulate you on your hope. Turn to somebody this morning and say, I congratulate you on your hope. Are you willing to do that? Go ahead and turn to somebody and say it. What hope? Do you, do you wake up every day with a sense of hope as a Christian? You should. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. But sometimes we don't, right? Sometimes we look at everything else. We look at our circumstances. But I congratulate you this morning on your hope. Now, this is the hope. It's laid out in verses 20 through 27 as we continue in this glorious letter to the Colossians. It says, and through him, through Christ, verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See the word in verse 20, reconcile. If you connect reconcile with having made peace, that is a great definition of reconciliation. Reconciliation is to be at peace with God. If you have peace with God, you have hope. Peace with God is what gives birth to hope. But if you don't have peace with God, then you're hopeless because you're looking for hope in all the wrong places. You know, many of us could come up and tell our story this morning and we could say, you know what? I looked for hope everywhere besides the one who is hope for years and years. And sadly, for us as Christians, sometimes we still do that. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. It says, and through him, through Christ, verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See the word in verse 20, reconcile. If you connect reconcile with having made peace, that is a great definition of reconciliation. Reconciliation is to be at peace with God. If you have peace with God, you have hope. Peace with God is what gives birth to hope. But if you don't have peace with God, then you're hopeless because you're looking for hope in all the wrong places. You know, many of us could come up and tell our story this morning and we could say, you know what? I looked for hope everywhere besides the one who is hope for years and years. And sadly, for us as Christians, sometimes we still do that. We know we have the hope of all mankind, but we still sometimes look for hope in all the wrong places. But we have peace with God. Reconciliation in verse 20 is a restoration of fellowship between God and sinners. The object of Christ's coming was the work of reconciliation. The blood-stained cross is where he paid the ransom price. Now, the Gnostics, who their, their doctrines were forming in the book of Colossians, they're being addressed, kind of a weird uh, form of Jewish mysticism and Greek Gnosticism, as I explained to you. And the, these teachers said that Jesus didn't have a physical body, some of them at least, said he was something like a phantom, that he just appeared to be physical. This is called docetism. He just seemed to be physical. But Jesus Christ died in his fleshly body on the cross. His fleshly body, and I think this is to refute the false teachers who were coming around the Colossian Christians, he died in his fleshly body on the cross. And he did this through the blood that he shed. His blood was real. His blood was shed on the cross at Calvary. Notice at verse 20 it says, to reconcile all things. The phrase all things, you could compare it to verse 16 where it says, for by him all things were created. Not all other things, as we looked at with our Jehovah's Witness friends and their translation, but all things were made through him. At least at the time of origin, some interpreters have used this verse to argue for universal salvation. It's been suggested that God will not allow anything to fall outside the scope of his saving love in Christ. Since it says all things, some commentators have said, well, then all things are gonna be reconciled to God. Everything, all angels, all people, everything. That is called universalism, but that is simply not biblical. Jesus said of Judas Iscariot, it would have been better for him had he never been born. 
The Bible says of Satan and the Antichrist that they will burn in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Not all things, not all people will be reconciled to Christ, but all of those who enter into a relationship of peace. After all, that's why he came, to reconcile and to shed his blood. You say, then what does it mean, Pastor Michael, that it says all things here? Well, most uh, conservative scholars hold to a view that this means all things in terms of the universe. That is, that the physical universe will experience a shalom or a peace. Go to Isaiah 11 for a second. Isaiah 11. Find the Psalms and the Proverbs. Go a little bit to your right. Isaiah 11 that has a few uh, sections like this. And this would include the scope of the physical creation, the universe, and even animals on God's holy mountain. Isaiah 11 verse one says, then a shoot will spring forth from the, will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. Isaiah 11 verse two. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, verse three, He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And also righteousness will be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist." And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. By the way, when we see pictures of the lion and the lamb, technically it's the wolf and the lamb who are, you know, the wolf is the predator to the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den, and they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then it will come about in that day, and I believe referring now to the millennial reign of Christ, that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Amen? Colossians 1, let's go back there. So there's a vision in Paul here of a universe that is restored, a universe that comes back into harmony. Part of the reason I decided to teach the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights is because we live in a world of chaos, a world that is in constant threat, a world where there's many wars going on and there's threat of war. And Thursday was the National Day of Prayer, And I hope you got a chance to pray with a group of people there. I went to an event that was put on by KKLA. And at that event, there were many church leaders who had come together just for the purpose of prayer. Because we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our military. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God honors prayer. And we quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We need to pray. There is a day coming, though, when there will be a universal harmony, 
where ancient predators will be at peace with one another. Well, they're a place where they will learn war no more. Praise God. There's going to be a time when there is no more war, no more curse. There's going to be a universal peace. And we have the down payment of that right now as God has saved us through Christ. And although, verse 21, Colossians 1, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. Now, before you were reconciled, we went through or we were in a period of alienation. The opposite of reconciliation is alienation. If you've ever felt alienated from somebody, you know what a strange and dark feeling that is. You feel like you can't approach them. The picture of alienation is in the fall chapter in Genesis 3 where our first parents take the forbidden fruit. They fall, and what are they doing? They are hiding from God. Those who are involved in alienation, they have not been reconciled to God, hide from God. One of the ways that they hide from God is in their unrighteous deeds. They suppress the truth, Romans 1, in unrighteousness. They turn up the volume in their lives by practicing sin. And we sometimes get the idea uh, as we talk to people and maybe look at the world and hear people's opinions about God and the world that a person who does not know God is just kind of neutral, They they don't really care one way or the other, but this Bible text here says that people who are alienated from God are actually hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. This is how it uh, works out in the life. Romans 8, 7 says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. Have you ever talked to a person, you can talk about any subject in the world, but you bring up Jesus and they get hostile. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, there is a hostility towards God for, and I'm not saying that this is a sweeping reality. Some people are just, you know, maybe just ignorant. But in Genesis 6, 5, we have a picture of a world in rebellion to God. And it says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Hebrew, this has the idea that every time a thought came down the pike of his mind, he found a way to twist it into something distorted and evil. And I fear for our generation right now that's getting bombarded with all this social media and all this garbage that is coming at people, and it's, it's bombarding the thought life of people. And so this is what we were formally. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This is where Paul gives us relief. He says, yet, 22, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body, as I emphasize as we look at the previous verse. How did that happen? Through death, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If you have the NIV, it says, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And all God's people said, thank you, Lord. Now, we have an accuser in Revelation 12 that says he accuses us before the throne of God day and night. 
But no accusation against a saint will stand because you are cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are free from accusation. Now, today, that's not the reality on the planet, right? There's people who accuse us of stuff all the time. But in the heavenly court, whether this means no one will even be able to speak in accusation or if an accusation comes your way, it will not hold court because you are cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are, this is the language from Old Testament sacrifices, you are holy and without blemish before the sight of Almighty God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Well, you might say to me, you don't feel that way most of the time, and that's okay because I don't either. But Christ is the one who gives us that standing before God. That is what the gospel is all about. It's about the righteousness of Christ credited to us. Well, if you're a longtime listener to Walk in Truth, we could really use your financial support. Please pray about walking with us and partnering financially. You can give by mail or you can give online. Visit walkintruth.com. Click on the donate button at the top right-hand corner. You will get all the information you need from there. As a thank you, we'll send you resources each month to help you in your studies of God's Word. This month, we'll send you a copy of my book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It'll teach you how to put on what God has provided. Again, you can find that at walkintruth.com. Well, thank you and God bless you for your gift. Please tune in tomorrow on this station as we continue teaching in Colossians about Christ in you, the hope of glory. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.